Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, friends, it's good to be with you again, and I pray that these sermons that come to you by way of video are more personal than just watching a video. I pray that they get inside of your lives and and do something really powerful. The Holy Spirit of God can use them. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit's teaching and leading today. We're going to talk about truth. Very, very important message on truth. I pray that it blesses your heart today. Thank you so much, and thank all of you for being here on the Lord's Day. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. We will not read the entire chapter, but uh, we're going to bring a message today, the title of which is, His Word is Truth. Um, Somewhere around the end of last year, I began to think about uh, some things regarding ministry and if you'll allow me to say it, the ministry that God has given to me, and I, I began to consider uh, how I would want it to be known, and, and I think, how would God want this ministry to be known? When, when you think, and I, I try my best not to be too um, ego-centered on uh, messages. I, I've enough of a problem with ego as it is without bringing them into sermons, <clears throat> but but I, um, I think sometimes if, if people um, were going to describe Pastor Ray, I think some people, they'd, they'd use different ways to describe him. People would say, you know, Pastor Ray's funny. And, you know, I, I love being funny. I've been, I guess, funny all my life. At least I think I am. And uh, <clears throat> my wife doesn't seem to always think that I am, but she doesn't always know. Um, <clears throat> And there's some other things, but, but I, I begin to think, what do we, and, and those things translate into the life of a church. And so I, I that is who the pastor is. If the, if the pastor's been somewhere in a church for a while, the church will take on some of the characteristics um, of, of the pastor. For instance, um, uh, this church, one of the, the great things about this church, I don't think that we give nearly as much as we should give, but our business is very, very good, and it always has been. Uh, you know, we became debt-free in 1997 and have been ever since then. And, and that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. But I don't know that that's the way we want our church defined. I don't know that we want to say, I can tell you about that church, they're debt-free. I don't think we want our church defined by that any more than we'd want our church defined by being head over heels in debt. I think there's something else. And so I... I began to think about the DNA of our church, and this morning I want to begin a series aimed at helping us to appreciate our DNA. Every church has a, a makeup, a combination of factors, preaching, purpose, personality, mission, the things that we do, and there's a lot of things that gives that body of believers a reputation in the community that makes us who we are known to be in the uh, community. Usually that reputation, a reputation is accidental. That is to say, the church fortuitously or unfortuitously, unfortunately, <clears throat> becomes what people think it to be. And it could be that the church is not at all what people think it to be, but because of, of you know, reputation in the community, that's what the church uh, is thought to be. 
I think it's best for a church to be intentional in ministry. And I think it's best for a church to be intentional in reputation. <clears throat> that is to, to know who we are and to be who we are intentionally so that uh, after a period of time of intentionally being who we are supposed to be, the church would begin to think of us for who we know <clears throat> us to be. Is that, is that making sense to you? <clears throat> That's, that is a, an important thing. It's, in other words, it's better to define ourselves than to be defined by default. Now, having been your pastor for more than 21 years, it's clear to me that this church is about three things. And this church, I believe, has always been about these three things. It's been about the truth, it's been about love, and it's been about worship. I believe that's, that's who our church is. I believe our church is truth, love, and worship. We may or may not be known in the community by all three of these, or with what I would call the proper balance, but this is who we are, and this is who I've always known uh, this church to be. I use the word balance because there's a certain finesse in worshiping God. There's a finesse in worshiping God in spirit and truth while maintaining love that makes us effective in the impact of our Christian lives. I recently had a conversation where I referred to what I'm talking about today in, in this life, this, the way that we live out our spiritual lives and the way that our, our church family lives out the spiritual life. I referred to it as a dance. And I said, it's sometimes we're clumsy in that dance. You know, we've got the right words. We've got the truth. We've, we've got the, um, the right spirit, hopefully, uh, the, the love. But do we put them together in such a way that uh, the, the dance, the worship of our lives is, is um, rhythmic? Uh, the worship of our lives is, is what it can and should be. Um, we, um, some of you have had your sons or daughters to, uh, to take uh, dance. And Sharon Davis is here. She's a longtime member of our church had a dance studio over on uh, Timberlane forever, uh, as long as I can remember, Sharon, it's been there. <clears throat> and, and she teaches young people to pull together um, the, the rhythm and the movement and all of that in such a way that it can be called a dance. Uh, it could be that <clears throat> the music is playing and uh, the rhythm is beating, but, but we are moving in such a way that it appears that we're just exercising or taking a walk. I don't want our church to just take a walk. I don't want our church just to be a, a flurry of exercise. Without the meter and the music of love and the, the worship uh, of God, truth can be clumsy and it can become ineffective. Um, a good illustration is that you're familiar with that Westwood Baptist Church uh, that's, I mean, they're just radical, uh, just really a radical church. They, they do unbelievably ridiculous things like uh, have protests at funerals when a tragedy happens and so forth. Now, I wouldn't say to you that everything that's said at the Westwood Baptist Church uh, is a lie. I wouldn't say that. But I will say to you this, that whatever that they might have that's true there, it's impossible for them to get it to the community the way that it should 
because they, they, can't, they can't listen to the, to the rhythm and the music of love and worship. They, they can only, they can only uh, hurl harshness out. And to whatever degree that harshness may or may not be true, and, it's, and, and I don't believe very much of it is true, whatever, to whatever degree it's true, it can't be heard. And the reason it can't be heard is because of the way that they, they are. Conversely, other people know uh, a lot about the music and the rhythm, but they don't know the, the truth. And so they're unable to really impact the world. They spend all of their time singing and dancing without getting the truth uh, out. Well, my goal in this series is to establish the truth while helping us to appreciate the harmony of love and worship. My goal in this, in this series is to find a way to, for our church to discover our balance, for our church to discover uh, the rhythm and music of who God wants us to be. And so we're beginning this series. We're beginning it with, <clears throat> excuse me, with truth. And currently we're in a Wednesday evening Bible study about the Bible. It's a, uh, a brief study called Text Message. But this message uh, today is distinguished from what we're doing on Wednesday night in that we're talking about how the truth impacts our lives and we'll move on to other truths. I'm sure you recall, recall these 14 seconds from a very famous movie. I want to play you these 14 seconds and ask you uh, if you're able to, uh, uh, to deal with um, what we're going to be presenting you. Guys, if you will. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Whoa. How many of you remember that scene? All right. How many of you know why I cut out what was before it and what was after it? <clears throat> All right. But those 14 seconds were pretty good, weren't they? They, <clears throat> they made a good application. Jesus believes that we can handle the truth. In fact, his prayer for the saints, in his prayer for the saints, Jesus declared the validity of the word of God and that it, he wanted... Uh, it to be set apart and us to be set apart in a relationship with the Word of God. John 17 and 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. And today we have chosen for our text a portion of Psalm 119, and it's all about the truth of God's Word, beginning in 154, if you will. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. The first impression that we get from the psalmist is in how personal 
the word of God or the truth is to him. So my first point today is so personal the truth. There are a few books with which we have a a personal relationship. If you keep a journal, you have a personal relationship with a journal. I don't know if girls keep diaries anymore, but uh, years ago, that's a way of journaling. Years ago, the, a girl might have a diary, and it's a very personal uh, book to her, and so she had a personal relationship with the diary. Uh, they express your observations and maybe your heart. If you're like Mrs. Ray, you have a, <clears throat> a cookbook that reflects a large portion of your life. As Mrs. Ray opens the cookbook that she has, and it, it's uh, connected to memories of special events and times that the family has enjoyed in the course of life. That's a very personal book. Maybe you have a devotion book that means a great deal to you, or uh, some other kind of book. Every believer should have a personal relationship with the Word of God, and for good reason. It is truth, and it is a personal truth. The Word of God is absolute truth, but it is personal truth to our lives. Here's why the psalmist felt so close to God's Word. Here's why the psalmist had a close-up personal relationship. He said, it saves me. The Word of God saves me. Many people can point to a time when their path was so treacherous in life that it could have taken a much different turn. Some of you may have come to a place in, in your life and, and uh, you, you were about to go in the very wrong direction, yet you were rescued. You were brought back from the brink of, of uh, what you were about to do by the power of something else, maybe by the power of a friendship or the, the power of someone's love. Maybe you were rescued from, from the... Um, from, from a, a, bad, a lot of bad choices in life by someone who really cared for you. We can be sure that uh, when we find the Word of God, it rescues us. It saves us. I will say this, that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and probably most of you do, I wouldn't say that everybody in, in attendance today or everybody hearing this message by television has come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I will say this, if you do know Jesus Christ, it is because that somewhere along the way, the word of God was communicated to you. The truth was given to you. This is what the psalmist said in verses 154 and and following. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord, Give me life according to your rules. The Word of God saves us in that this is how we receive the message of God's love, the message of God's salvation. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have 
eternal life. Now, you may not have a close relationship to God's Word today, but if you're saved, if you're born again, somewhere along the line, you had a personal relationship with God, because, or a personal relationship with the Word, because it was the Word that brought you the powerful truth of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we look at the truth of God's Word, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, do I have a personal relationship with it? Do I have a closer relationship with my Bible, with the Word of God, than I do with any other truth in my life or any other uh, volume in my life? How close and personal is your relationship to this? Ask yourself this question. What other close relationship do I have that is more personal than my relationship to the Bible? What other relationship do I have uh, with any other book that is more personal than my relationship to the Bible? Then we should examine not necessarily your relationship to that book, but you should, relation, uh, you should uh, examine your relationship to the Bible. So the Bible, the truth, uh, saves us. Here's the second thing. It not only saves me, it keeps me. In verse 157 of our text, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Now, how do you keep your life in balance during difficult times? I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but I am absolutely certain that many of you have experienced the upside-down world of divorce. That's a terrible thing to experience. How do you keep your balance during divorce? How does anyone navigate the death of a a husband or wife or the death of a child? How do you navigate those things? When we lose our jobs or our houses, when our whole world turns upside down, how do we stay above water. Well, the psalmist said that he didn't allow himself to swerve from the testimonies of God. In other words, he said, I do not bend away from or take a different course from the the truth of God's Word, even though my world has been turned upside down. I don't let myself swerve from this. I don't let myself move from this. Even though my enemies persecute me, I am not dissuaded from the truth. Now, that is a big statement. Let me ask you this question. How often have we heard of someone taking a different course because of an adversarial situation in their lives? Something bad happened in their life, and they just just took a downward spiral course. And every time someone tries to talk to them about getting on track, they come back to whatever that was that happened to them, and they say, well, I was okay until this happened. Let me ask you this. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I used to go to church, but the reason I don't go to church is because, and then they name a situation that put them on a diverted course. There are plenty of people who do not go to church uh, again or won't go to church again because somebody disappointed them. 
Do you know what this suggests? When someone says, and, and you're not those people because you're here today, but when someone says, well, I don't go to church anymore because, and then they start naming the reason. It suggests that they had a relationship maybe to a pastor. Maybe they had a relationship to friends in the church. Maybe they had a relationship to the program in a church, but their relationship to the word of God was not what it could or should have been. Because had their relationship to the word of God been what it could or should have been, they, they would have been more like the psalmist who said, though I'm persecuted, I don't swerve from the truth. I don't move away from the truth. Or they'd be like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The great thing about having a personal relationship with the truth is that it, it not only saves us, but it keeps us. Your relationship to the Word will keep you when your circumstances of life, any part of life, challenges you. A lot of wonderful people have had horrible things happen in their lives, but they were able to navigate through it, past it, and out of it because they had a good relationship to the Word of God. So the psalmist said, the Word of God is so personal to me. It saves me. It keeps me. Here's the third thing. It drives me. Now, I'll have to be honest. I'm a little bothered by what the psalmist says in in the 158th verse. He said, I look at the faithless with disgust (laughs) because they they keep, uh, do not keep your commands. Clearly, the psalmist had strong feelings about God's truth and the importance of keeping God's truth. He was disgusted by those who did not live by faith in God's truth. At least that's what he said. Now, it's important to know that the Hebrew word translated disgust is also translated grieve in other places in the Old Testament. In fact, it's translated three times, grieve uh, in the Old Testament, and, and translated disgust here. It is also interpreted as loathe, this same Greek uh, Hebrew word. So clearly, he had more than neutral feelings about the way that others treated the truth. Now, to better understand the psalm, we might benefit by looking at verse 136, where he said, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I I said all that to say this. Obviously, He had very strong feelings about the truth. Now, here is the word of caution. This is kind of the caution that I started with this morning. Here's a word of caution about our stand for the truth. It is all too easy to be loathsome in our feelings about people who reject the truth that we know. It is all too easy. There must be a love for the sinner. There must be an an appreciation, a strength, and a holding to of the truth, but it must be carried out in love and worship. It must be. I don't don't know anyone, I've never heard of anyone who has been despised into receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. I just despise you because you're not saved. I just despise you because you have not 
receive the love of my Savior. And if you ever want me to stop despising you, then you better get saved. Somehow or another, that doesn't sound like Billy Graham words, does it? Somehow or another, that doesn't sound like the way you reach the lost. And therein lies one of the issues, my friends, of not having that that balance that we are talking about. Now, some of us grew up in that imbalance. I can remember times when, when we were so imbalanced, that is, as a people, the, the group that I ran with, we were so imbalanced that we were more concerned about how people looked than what their heart was like. And we could not get past how somebody looked to see the fact that the truth of God's Word and the power of, of the truth is what really needs to change for them. I, I think that, that you can see the importance of our having the, the music of love and worship playing while we stand on the truth of God's Word. This truth is a personal truth. It saves me. It keeps me. It drives me, but it shouldn't drive other people away from you. Here's the fourth thing. It blesses me. What kept the psalmist in such a close relationship with the Word? Well, he just loved it. He just absolutely loved it. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So then, for all of us, there's some kind of a relationship to the truth of God's Word. It may be a shallow relationship. It might even be no relationship. However, in accordance to our relationship to the truth, we stay on course in this life. If you're not staying on course in this life, I'm going to tell you it's because you do not have a strong relationship to the truth, the truth of God's Word. We must walk in His way and walk in His understanding. So personal, personal is the truth of God's Word, personal to your life and personal to my life. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, you never know how much you really believe until it's truth or falsehood become a matter of life and death. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang over Uh, hang by that rope over a precipice, wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? How personal is the truth to you? How close do you keep it in your life? How close do you keep it in your heart? How much do you depend on it? And when when the difficulties and the diversions and the persecutions and the destructions and and all of those things come your way do you swerve from the truth or do you hold to the truth because you say I know the truth will keep me so personal the truth here's the second thing so powerful the truth the last two verses of our text show us the power of the truth the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe 
of your words. First of all, his word is entirely true. The psalmist said, the sum of your word is true. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The nature of God's word is that it is all true or it is all suspect. God's word is either all true or all suspect. Here's what I mean. Once we begin to discredit any portion of the truth of God's word, we place a question mark above all of it. We do. Absolutely do. Look, on Wednesday night, like I said, we're, we're studying the actual word itself. The 66 uh, books in the canon of scripture, <clears throat> we studied uh, inspiration. We're, we're going to study illumination, how, how we get to know God's truth this coming Wednesday night. But here's the thing. The, the truth of God's Word is an inclusive thing. If, if, if you do not believe, and I, I'm just going to say it pretty strong, if you do not believe that this is all the divinely inspired truth, then here's what you believe. You believe this book is inspirational, but you don't believe it's inspired. Big difference between an inspirational book and a divinely inspired book. I put it to, I'll put it to you like this. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't you? Raise your hand if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, wonderful. It looks like it's 100%. I will tell you that I also believe that God created the heaven and the earth. And, And I will tell you the reason that I believe that is because if I don't believe God created the heaven and the earth, uh, then I'm going to say about that book, it's inspirational, but not inspired. I mean, I do believe it. He said, well, Pastor Ray, I just, you know, I mean, I'm pretty good at studying things. I just have a hard time seeing how God could create, just speak things into existence. I just have a hard time seeing that. I understand that, and and I understand how you'd have a hard time seeing that, but clearly you could see uh, somebody being born of a virgin, dying and, and raising on the third day. I understand. No, I don't understand. The same miracle that did one did the other. It's just that way. His word is entirely true. Once we begin to discredit, then it's done. What gives us the right to say that any of God's word is uh, true and another part of God's word is not true? I mean, seriously, where did that come from? All of us know people who will lie to us or have lied to us on more than one occasion. When we find out that somebody has lied to us, then you know what? We have to put everything that they say to the test. I mean, how, li- how long, how many lies does it take to be a liar? One. And once you lie, you stepped over. <clears throat> Matthew Matthew told me the other night he arrested a guy at 1 o'clock in the morning that was driving a new Mercedes. 
And uh, Ron, that guy, said to him, do I look like a criminal to you? Matthew said, well, now, what does a criminal look like? People say, do I look like a liar to you? Well, have you lied? Well, maybe once or twice. Yeah, you look like a liar to me then. <clears throat> the, the, the fact is, if, if God didn't represent the truth anywhere in here, if, if he failed to represent the truth anywhere in here, then he, we have reason to believe that he's failed to represent the truth all throughout here. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Not some of it. All of it is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction or training in righteousness. We can believe everything or nothing, but believing in part is not an option. So you all just decide. I'm going to believe it all. I'm not going to believe it at all. I would suggest you believe it all. But to say, well, you know, I believe most of it, but I don't believe all that revelation stuff. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> Why? Why wouldn't you? It just seems too far-fetched to me. Now, I understand that, but Lazarus come forth is perfectly normal, isn't it? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. Okay, I'll get off of that. So powerful, <clears throat> powerful truth. It is <clears throat> entirely true. Secondly, it's enduringly true. The psalmist said that every word endures forever. He confirmed it elsewhere in his psalm and <clears throat> concerning the truth of God's word that it endures. Verse 142, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are <clears throat> righteous forever. Give me understanding that I might live. Psalmist isn't the only one that said that kind of thing. The, the wise man Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. He said, okay, but both of that's Old Testament. All right, let's go to Jesus. In Matthew 5, 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The truth of God's word is personal and, and powerful. We began our personal relationship to his truth when we went to Sunday school as a child. We started then and we began to sing little songs about the truth of God's Word, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible, that's right. <clears throat> and we, we started that as children. And the reason that we sent our children to Sunday school to learn that is so that they would have a, a personal relationship to the truth, that they would have a powerful relationship with the truth. And let me finish by this, so precious, the truth. Psalm 119.72, the law of your mouth is better to me than 
thousands of gold and silver pieces. 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold and fine silver. 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. So precious the word. Wednesday night, oh, you missed it. Wednesday night, I showed a video clip of some Chinese believers who saw a Bible for the very first time. The very first time. Suitcases were, had been smuggled in and they were filled with Chinese Bibles and they, they, they each got Bibles. They started crying and they held them and they looked and, and just, just, like, just like we do with our children. Caroline, you know how you, you hold Harper up and you just put his face next to yours and that's the, that's the closest you can get, you know, just like that. That's what they were doing with their Bibles. They were, they were like this. Just like that. They kissed it. So, so precious, the word. So precious. <laughs> if you want to know what's, what really is my precious, my pretty, <laughs> this. It's not that ring, it's this. Ah, my precious. I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God has jerked me back from stupidity so many times. Just jerked me back from it. It's precious. It's a truth. It's powerful. It's personal. <clears throat> close with this illustration. How many of you have seen the movie Rain Man? <clears throat> Would you raise your hand, the movie Rain Man? Uh-oh, time for Judge Watner. <clears throat> so I, and I continue to do stupid things. I. <clears throat> Kim Peek is the man who inspired that film in 1988. He is an autistic savant who has outstanding mathematical skills. He's what the doctors refer to as a mega savant, a savant that possesses remarkable expertise in one to three subjects. Peak is an expert in 15 subjects, at least 15 subjects, including history, sports, space, music, geography. He's, he's a genius in those areas. It was discovered that each of Peake's eyes can read a separate page simultaneously, absorbing every word. In fact, a page that takes you or me three minutes to read, he can read in ten seconds and never forget it. And Peek once went to a performance of Shakespeare's play, Twelfth Night. And as the play was ending, Peek stood up and he said with a loud voice, You've got to stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! 
turned out that the actor on stage had skipped the second to last verse of the play. And the play did stop. And the actor apologized. And he said, the verses are so much alike, I didn't think it would matter. And Peake responded, it mattered to William Shakespeare, it should matter to you. You think this matters to God? Do you? Then it should matter to you. And it should matter to me. Missionary David Livingston said, All that I am, all that I owe to Jesus has been revealed to me in this divine book. This is the truth. When you think about Dean and Tina, you're moving to Normal, Illinois. We're going to miss you. We love you dearly. When you look for a church up there, I hope they have wonderful music. but the truth comes first. I really hope they're friendly. I believe in a friendly church, but the truth is first. I pray that they've got all the programs for the kids that that there ought to be because, you know, a, a good church needs good programs for the family, but the truth is first because it's personal it's powerful and it's precious you've been listening to the family bible hour a broadcast ministry of north florida baptist church in tallahassee florida with your speaker dr randy ray visit us online at nflchurch.com Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.